Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Chris from Station, and you're listening to The Hook Podcast with Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well today. Happy Tuesday to you. Got a great show in store coming up here in a bit with Don Jameson, the rock and roll comedian. Everybody knows him from that metal show. Don't forget, everybody, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Great family of music podcasts for you to check out. There is something for everybody on there. Check them out at PantheonPodcast.com, Pantheon Pods, at Pantheon Pods on Twitter, and Pantheon Podcast on Facebook. You can like the Hook Rocks on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us wherever you get your podcast on any platform. Please set your app to download all the new episodes that drop every other day or a few times a week. We always provide new content for you. Please write us a review on any of those platforms as well. And hope you enjoy some of the episodes that we've uh, we've done over the last few weeks. The Legacy of Ronnie James Deal. We had Frank Hannon from Tesla. We just had a new music spotlight with Chris Lane from Station. We did the best sound quality streaming services with Rob at Skylab Tapes. So something for everybody to enjoy. Love doing the show for all of you. Hope you all enjoy it as well. And got some great shows lined up for you in the next couple of weeks as well. And I hope you enjoy all of them as uh, we can uh, move closer, an inch closer to the end of the year. It's hard to believe it's almost October. It's hard to believe that fall is here. Pumpkin spice season is everywhere. It's like a made-up season now. It's more popular than Halloween. It is ridiculous. I'm waiting for the pumpkin spice scented toilet paper that you know someone's thinking about doing. But let's hope it doesn't. It seems like it goes from summer into pumpkin spice into Christmas season. Like there's no Thanksgiving anymore. You've got the pop-up Halloween stores that start like in July. It's crazy. Everybody's a rush to get somewhere in a rush to do something. I liked what happened during the pandemic is everybody kind of slowed down the pace a little bit and lived life a little slower. And we're always on the go. We're always looking for the next best thing. We're always looking to do something else. And it was kind of refreshing for a bit just to take it as it comes, you know, because that's really what life is. But I don't want to preach too much. I want to get into some rock and roll. My next guest, I'd like to bring in. I had the pleasure of seeing him a couple weeks ago with the Dead Daisies and the Black Moods out in a venue south of Chicago in Joliet called The Forge. Great venue, great time, great show. And it was a pleasure to meet him after 
the concert after the show and talked to him. My son was with me too as well. And I didn't even coach my son. He just said, you know what? I remember watching you with my dad when I was a kid, staying up late on a Saturday night and watching that metal show. And I was like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even like, you know, tell him to say something nice. He just 16 year old kid just wowed me on that. And I know Don was appreciative of that comment. And my next guest is former host of that metal show, currently touring with the Dead Daisies and the Black Moods, supporting his new album, Denim and Laughter. And it is Don Jameson. What's going on? Hey, what's up? Yeah, that's uh that what an intro. I appreciate that. It's uh it's funny, man. We got the old school fans, you know, uh, you know, guys around our age who love the show, and now I'm getting you know, kids from, you know, like you said, 16 to 21, 22 years old coming up and saying, you know, hey, when I was 10, I used to watch with my dad. And, uh, you know, they always say, how do we, how do we, you know, keep rock and roll alive? They say, well, raise your kids to, to listen to it and it'll always be here. So uh, that is always, uh, even though it, sh- it should make me feel old, it's actually a, a great compliment. You know, it's funny. I always tell this story with my son. So, I'm divorced. You know, he he, uh, he lives part-time with his mother, part-time with me. And he was about four years old and he got in the car with me and he's in his, he's in his, uh, baby seat in the back or whatever they call it. Not, not baby. He was old. He was at four years old at the time. And he starts singing poker face by Lady Gaga. And I'm, I'm driving. I'm like, Hey, what are you singing there, pal? He's like poker face, Lady Gaga. And I knew right then and there, I had to intervene. I had to intervene. <laughs> Because he was going down a path that he shouldn't have gone down. And then that's when I just started playing loud rock and roll in the car. And here we are 12 years later. He's seen Metallica. He's seen Maiden. He's seen so many concerts. He loves rock and roll. He loves metal. And, you know, everyone who always says, well, my, my kids don't connect with it. They don't want to listen to it. You just got to keep playing it. They get in the car, you you, you guys, you just got to put it on the radio or put, you know, your CD in or stream or whatever you're doing in your car and just play it because sooner or later they're going to connect with it. They're going to like it and they're going to want more. Yeah. I don't know where I got it from, man, because my, my, I mean, my parents listen to music in the house, but you know, I think the heaviest thing they had in the record collection was, um, was like the Bee Gees, the Saturday night fever soundtrack. So (laughs) I've, uh, I've all, I've had this one track mind for hard rock and heavy metal, but I still have a soft spot for the Bee Gees. But uh, that's the only band that, that survived in in, uh, in my musical taste from when I was a kid. Yeah, you know it's interesting too. I had an older brother that brought in a lot of music that I connected with. That that was my gateway into hard rock and heavy metal. He was four years older than me, and he was bringing in. Van Halen and Maiden and all these, you know, Judas Priest and all these, you know, bands. And I was, you know, five years old, six, seven years old. And I was exposed to this stuff. And I just became this, just engulfed in it. I mean, I would stay up, you know, during grade school, sixth, seventh grade with the, with my boom box on the other side of the bed that was up against the wall. So my mom or dad who walked in didn't see it. And I had the headphones you know, and I would yep. just and I would listen to this radio station in Chicago till like one o'clock in the morning. I would get up and go to class, and you know everybody was you know happy go lucky, and here am I half falling asleep during English class because I've been listening to metal all night. Yeah, I, it, listen, same exact thing here, man. I had the Radio Shack tape recorder, and um, you know a lot of people ask me about you know what's the you know the comedy you know and rock connection for you, and it's. Back to those days, you know, when I was 11 years old, either listening to a Kiss cassette um, late at night with the earphone in, or, um, you know, my buddy uh, Steve used to uh, listen, he'd make me George Carlin tapes and Cheech and Chong, and I would listen to those. So those have always been my two loves, and uh, they, they still are. So, but yeah, it was that, it, the, because the fact that we had to, you know, put headphones on or earphones already i knew like I, I i like this like this is subversive my parents don't want me listening to this so you know when you're a teenager it makes it all the more attractive yeah you know that's funny cheech and chong was such a staple in my house between my brother and i up in smoke 
and you know it was a Sergeant Stadenko and Dave and all those great skits that we would listen to. And I don't know, it was just something with with metal kids and Cheech and Chong that was like a perfect you know marriage. Yeah, and I never smoked pot in my life. Maybe I could count on my hands how many times I ever smoked weed. But like I said, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to be listening to it, which made me want to listen more and more. So I didn't get all the drug references, obviously, until I was older. But, um, you know, I just like the fact that, yeah, if I got busted listening to this, you know, I'd be grounded for the next week. So, <laughs> Well, we always begin every time we have a first-time guest the same way with the same question. And that really is what the show is about. Just like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance. What hooked you on rock and roll? Well, it, it, and it still does every time I hear it. It's still magic to me. But, you know, the, the beginning riff of G- Detroit Rock City, you know, G- Kiss Destroyer was my gateway drug into uh, the world of heavy music. So, yeah, when, when I hear that, like, I still go crazy. And the whole production on the album, too, with the guy getting in the car and driving the car and, and hearing it on the radio and all of a sudden the song comes on. It is a pretty magical moment on a rock record. Yeah, and then and you're looking at the cover, and when you're 11, it's like, these are rock stars, they're superheroes, and they're comic book characters all rolled into one. What's better than that? Right, because that was really the era of Star Wars, too, right? So you had Star Wars, and you had Kiss. You had, like, these out-of-this-world characters surrounding us when we were that age. You know, whether it was Superman, you know, with Christopher Reeve, or Batman and Robin, comic books, like you mentioned. Star Wars, which was just, you know, as a kid, you were mesmerized by it. And, And then Kiss just had that same type of persona that it was, like, it was something else from out of this world. Yeah, like I said, it, it combined all the best things of being 11 into one rock band. But yeah, to this day, I still can't figure out. I know my mother bought the album for me, so I must have asked for it. But So I must have saw a picture of it you know, somewhere and said, yeah, I, I want that. Um, but uh, yeah, I never turned back. And to this day, it, even that, that whole album to me is just you know, still one of my favorite albums. And where did it go from there for you? I mean, when did it, you know, obviously Kiss Destroy was the gateway, but what were some of the other bands that you started to listen to early on? Well, like a lot of Kiss fans, that was it for like the first like four years of, you know, my you know musical taste. It was just only Kiss. Kiss posters on the wall, Kiss cards around the molding, you know, the solo album puzzle pieces on my ceiling. You know, it was just all Kiss all the time. And then I went to stay with a cousin for a summer, and then he got me into Aerosmith. And then um, I went to a record store that summer, and I saw Iron Maiden Killers. And I just looked, it was the same kind of reaction as Kiss Destroyer. I looked at the cover and went, I don't even know what this sounds like, but I, I got to have it. I got to listen to it. And uh, Maiden got me into the heavier stuff, you know. And then, you know, Priest followed, and then Motorhead, and... Um, you know, I grew up in Jersey, so you you went to the mall every weekend with your lawn cutting money, and uh, you look for the guy with the long hair at the record store and say, hey, what should I pick up this week? And, you know, you go, hey, just to listen to this, Riot Fire Down Under, this is great. And like, okay, let me try it, you know, and you take it home and put it on, and you go like, wow, I got another great band. So, um, you know, once, once, I, once I sort of broke out of the full kiss mode, it was, you know, wide open after that. Everything was so connected to the image too back then you mentioned maiden i still remember being at a neighbor's house who uh who had an older brother a little older than my older brother and he had this wall poster from the bottom to the top of number of the beast and i just remember sitting in that bedroom with my buddy staring at it for hours trying to figure out what the hell am i looking at like, this is just so cool, but I don't know why it's cool. It's evil, and it's dark, and, you know, I, I went to Catholic school for eight years, and, God, it was everything against what I was being taught, but it was, like, it was so mesmerizing, and you talk about, you know, Priest with the black leather and, and the imagery on the albums with the Defenders of the Faith and Screaming for Vengeance. It was just so, it was everything. It was everything you wanted for as a kid. Totally. Uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you track my listening taste, I mean, still nine times out of 10, 
I'm going for a theatrical band, you know, uh, Kiss, Alice Cooper, you know, you know, obviously Maiden with the Eddie mascot is iconic and, and Priest, as you mentioned. And, you know, um, and then the bands that, you know, kind of came after that. You know, I love Rob Zombie and I love what John Five does. You know, I, lo- I really love the visual bands. Um, they just sort of have a special place in my heart because that's what I, I grew up on. So uh, and then Motorhead were just ugly. And that was you know, I like that too. <laughs> I still remember uh, watching that video for Motorhead on MTV. I think it was either Headbangers Ball or it was on like late at night. It was um, uh, Killed by Death. And <laughs> I was just like, you know, Killed by Death. Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, of course you're going to die. And it was just so, and then him on the Harley with this chick and everything. And I'm like, how does an ugly SOB get a chick like that on the back of a Harley? <laughs> That's why I, that's why Lemmy is still my hero to this day, man. He's because uh, you know why he was real. Yeah. You know, Lemmy was was as real um, a rock star as you, you're ever going to meet. And that was him. There was no difference between the stage and off stage. That was that was Lemmy twenty four seven. And yeah, killed by death. I mean, yeah, of course. It's like it's like five finger death punch. Well, yeah, would probably use all all five fingers if you're making a fist, you know. But yeah. Uh, you know, it was just so cool, everything they did, you know, and their image, you know, was just so great. It was just, you know, first time I saw the cover of Ace of Spades, you know, I thought it was, those were like three Mexican guys in the desert. I didn't know who it was. Meanwhile, it was three British guys, you know, somewhere like, you know, on the side of a mountain in England. Um, and then you just put the record on and bam, just the music just catches you. I took my son to the rainbow when he was 12. And he sat in Lemmy's chair at the Rainbow, and he had a Motorhead shirt on at the same time. And I was like, you know, I'm like, you realize you're probably the only 12 year old that would ever do this. <laughs> yeah, Dad of the Year, my friend. Absolutely. When did it? When did you decide to intertwine the influence metal had on your life with comedy? Well, yeah, it was something I really, you know, was thinking, you know, if, if, if my comedy career could take off a little bit, maybe there's an opportunity to do that somehow. I didn't know how. And then, um, you know, when Jim Florentine and I would go on road gigs, we'd always be like, you know, because we would have to drive out, you know, four hours to the middle of nowhere. And we were just always, you know, on a Saturday night, like, can't wait till we get back in the trunk zone, which, you know, was we were fans of Eddie Trunk's radio show and we would, you know, wait till we could tune it in finally. And, you know, we would hear him go on these long rants about Saxon or the Scorpions or accept or something. And we're like, man, we got to meet this guy. He like, he talks exactly like us. And, um, sure enough, we met him at an Ozfest. We started talking about stuff. We guessed it on his radio show. And then, you know, the next thing you know, we're, you know, we're over at VH1 classic pitching, uh, you know, well, didn't have a name then, but it was what became that metal show. What I find interesting is how you, I mean, I, when I saw you Saturday, how you talk about music and you talk, I mean, first of all, I never knew that you couldn't shit in a tour bus, which that in itself made that night an educational night because I would never <laughs> have thought that, that, hey, why can't you shit? I mean, what do you got to do? I mean, if you got to go, you got to go. I mean, so that means like no tacos before you get on the tour bus, basically. Well, yeah. uh, it, it is a very important rule. It can really, it could get you thrown off a tour for sure. Cause there's no ventilation, you know? So, but it, no, if you, listen, if you have to, if you really have to go, you know, the bus driver will pull over at a truck stop. It's not the end of the world, but you know, like if you're, if you're, you know, crunch for time, you know, they, they have a thing called hot bagging where, you know, you, you know, you have uh, bags, you know, cause you stop at Walmart every, every morning. So you take a Walmart bag and then you line the toilet with the bag and then you crap in the bag. And then as you're going down the highway, you open the window and you fling it out. This is a wonderful piece of information. I had no idea. <laughs> that- <laughs> and every guy in every band that you love has hot bagged it <laughs> once, once in their life, at least. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just one of those rules of the road. Just try to not hit, hit one of the cars that's you know driving behind you. Well, that's the thing too. So if you're ever on the side of a road and you see a Walmart plastic shopping bag full of shit, you can say to yourself, "Hey, it must have been from a tour band, you know, or a tour bus." 
you know, band that would that Yeah, tour. you go, who's playing in town? It's gotta be them. <laughs> that yeah, that is uh that's an incredible bit of news that my audience will find riveting and uh <laughs> absolutely educational. So but you know, getting back to the comedy aspect, because you do add a lot of elements of music into your stage presence, to your stage act. And, you know, when did you I mean, obviously you talk about other things too as well, but when did you really decide to to do that? Because there's a lot of co- comedians that I know are, are metal fans, you know, like George Lopez and Jim Brewer, that, you know, don't really, they do a little bit, they dip their toe in the water a little bit, but not as much as you. I mean, you look at the cover of your albums and, and the play on words with things that you do with the albums, you know, titles and stuff. When did that become something that you wanted to do? Well, I didn't know I wanted to do it, but I always loved the comics that did it like back in the day, like Dice open for Guns N' Roses at the Rose Bowl and, you know, Kinnison, you know, with his whole connection to the heavy metal world with the Wild Things video and all that, the Sunset Strip cats and all that. And, you know, even Bobcat Goldthwait, um, I think he opened for Nirvana on their first U.S. tour. So it was really cool you know, for a while. And then it was really not cool for a long time. And then when we started doing that metal show, got like I say on stage, you know, um, bands just started asking, Hey, you want to, that could be fun. Let's have a comedian open for us. And, you know, D D Snyder, you know, had asked if I'd open for Twisted Sister. And, and it was, it was on after that, man. I just really started writing more and more stuff about the scene, you know, hard rock and metal and musicians and bands and songs and all that stuff. And, you know, it took a few years, but, you know, now I got a, you know, a full, uh, you know, direct support set when I go out with bands that's just, you know, in that family. You know, if you come see me open for the Dead Daisies, I'm not going to talk about, you know, I, uh, a girl just broke up with me or how, you know, kids are paying the ass or my pets or any of that stuff. You can come see me in a nightclub and I'll talk about that. But, you know, when I'm on stage with the rock crowd, that's where I keep it you know, um, and try to, you know, just keep it not too weird. Um, because I know for some people, a comic is uh, a little bit, you know, off, off, off base or, 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 you know, left of center for people. But, um, you know, I try to go up and give it the same energy as an opening band. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome because, you know, you had the opener, the black moods, who's a young emerging band and then you performed in the Dead Daisies. And what I found is it gave my ears a rest, too, as well, right? I mean, it's nice to have mm-hmm. that break of comedy. Because I love comedy, too, as well. You know, mentioned Cheech and Chong. I love Carlin. Love a lot of, the, you know, the comedians from that era. And I thought it was kind of refreshing to see that. Because I've never seen someone, a comic, open up for a band before. Yeah, thanks, man. It's just been so great. I, You know... I tell everybody, I, you know, because mo- you're just right. Most comics don't would don't want that gig. That you know, they all think I'm nuts. They're like, "What? Well, you're gonna you're gonna go on tour with the band? Why would you? Is, is this like an impractical Joker's punishment or something?" I'm like, "No, no, I you know, I want to do this, and I have fun doing it, and I get you know, comedy is a, is a um, you know, it's a very um, it's just you, you know, it's a, you're very isolated, you know, um." And on tour with a band, the cool thing is you get all the brotherhood of being in a band, but you get none of the drama. So, you know, I get the best of both worlds. It's it's also interesting how the show, that metal show, was able to really connect you to all these artists and connect you to, you know, being one of the faces of rock and roll metal commentary for a long period of time. I mean... That's where metal fans went to every week when, it, when that show was on. We'd watch the episode, the interviews, the the banter between the three of you. And to bring that on stage to those same fans that were watching, I have to think that you do get a good response because in part of that metal show, you, you had the credibility with metal fans that maybe other comics wouldn't have. Right. There's, there's definitely a recognition factor that helps. So... Um, you know, I have a tiny bit of grace period, but I still, you know, I still got to bring the thunder uh, when it comes down to the performance. But yeah, so it makes, again, it makes it a little less weird. And I always ask to put, you know, make sure you put it in the billing that there's going to be, you know, rock and roll comedy in the show. So that, you know, just so people know what they're walking into. And uh, yeah, man, what an honor to have 
done that metal show for 14 seasons. And, um, you know, when we were canceled, I, I said, uh, well, you know, that's the last time I'm going to hear from any of the rock guys. Um, and you know what, man, the, the complete opposite was true. Everybody who became my quote unquote friend has remained a friend. And in fact, I've made many, many more even since, um, since we've been off the air. So, it, it, and that's again, you know, I always say how great the, the scene is, man. It's just all, it's all good people. You know, we really have a, we're lucky to have a killer scene and 99% of the guys in the bands are just, they're just regular cool dudes, man. And, uh, like I said, it's so fun to tour with them and hear the stories. You know, I'm out on the road with Glenn Hughes. He's a rock and roll hall of famer. You know, he playing deep purple in the seventies for God's sakes. Um, you know, and I get to hang with him and hear great stories and, you know, and, and be on the bus or wherever with him and uh, just amazing stuff, man. I'm, I'm really grateful. I am. That's the first time I ever saw Glenn Hughes in concert and to hear him sing mistreated and burn was just like mind blowing. I'm like, Oh my God, dude, this is incredible. His he's, he just turned 70 and his voice uh, didn't get the memo. It's, it's unbelievable the way he is, how great he's singing. And if you ever read his autobiography, which I highly recommend, it'll be even way more amazing than you already think because of, you know, he was, uh, he was a wild child and, uh, you know, he, he partook as they did in the, in the seventies and eighties. Uh, but, uh, but Glenn is, um, I think he's clean 30 years now or something. And, and just, uh, thank God, just as a, as a fan, just to be able to hear him sing every night is it, it, the hair stands up on my arms. I kept, you know, hitting my son with my, with my elbow. I'm like, dude, you know, he's 70 during the show. He's 70. He's, I must've said it like <laughs> half dozen times. I've had him on the show. And one of the cool things that he said, cause I asked him how his voice is, you know, he still maintains, you know, the pitch and able to hit the notes. I go, how do you do it? And he's like, I just stay in the moment. I don't, think about what's after the notes that I'm singing. I just sing what I have to sing in front of me. I don't worry about, you know, when I start a song, I'm like, oh my God, I got to hit that note in, at the three minute mark or whatever. He's like, I just stay present. And hearing him at that show, I was just like, man, like you said, man, he's 70 freaking years old and his voice did not get the memo. Yeah. It's, and it, it, again, it never, I, I'm never, uh, I never lose touch of the fact that even though Glenn has become a good friend over the years, that it's still Glenn freaking Hughes, you know? I'm, so that's the other thing is, you know, I get along so great with these guys because I am still in awe of their talent. Um, and for them to put me on as part of their show, cause they think it's going to, you know, be a good thing, you know, for the tour, like that's, you know, every day, like I said, man, I just, uh, I'm grateful. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I try to go out every night and, and give a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, Joliet was now that's twice I've played there with a the band and twice that uh, it's just like unbelievable energy off the charts. So, uh, I really appreciate it. When you look back at that metal show and, you know, starting from the beginning, the three of you probably felt, well, we'll probably do a handful of episodes and that'll be it. Right. Who's going to watch that metal show in the wee hours of the morning on a Saturday and have it connect with people. It had to be a surprise, but it also had to be a validation for what you guys were and how you guys treated the music that so many fans love over so many generations. Right. And I think that's why people really connected with it. Cause the, you know, uh, the biggest compliment that, that I get is, Hey, you know, you guys are like me and my two friends sitting around, you know, in my basement, listening to music and debating whatever, you know, these different topics, what album was best or which band is better. And so that, and that's, so we just, that's what we said from we, from the stars, like we just get, it's gotta be like, we would sit around and talk. So, you know, that's why you got a lot of ball breaking and all the other stuff along with, you know, obviously our passion for the music. And, you know, that's really what sold the network on us because, I'll be honest with you, you know, I had probably done about 10 television pilots in my career at that point. None of them got picked up. And so it was sort of like, it's nice to make a living, but at this point, I'm, the industry is paying me to stay off of television. So, you know, when, when that metal show, when we went in for the meeting, 
you know, and Florentine too. It was just sort of like, you know, every time we go in and do the right thing, nothing ever comes out of it. So we just went in, we were wearing camouflage shorts and concert shirts. You know, we just figured we'll get a free lunch from VH1 and that'll be it. We didn't even think we'd get a couple episodes. We were just thinking about getting free lunch. And then we were just breaking Eddie's balls the whole meeting. And they said, um, they said, that's what we actually liked. We liked the camaraderie about you three guys. We don't know the music like you do, but we liked your chemistry. And so, you know, sometimes when you do the wrong thing, it ends up just somehow being the right thing. When I think of denim and laughter, and you know, I think of that connection to that metal show, and you think of some of the some of the tracks that are on the album, you know, that you you know on your stage show. How you know when you when you're putting together something like that, and you know, you're you're playing off the Saxon album, Denim and Leather. Do you have that idea in mind of how you want to approach it and and where you want to go with it? Well, yeah, I mean, it started with, you know, I was, I was drinking uh, red wine with Biff from Saxon and he's like, you know, you got a bunch of comedy albums, you know, that are, that parody other bands. You haven't parodied my bands. And you said, you're a big fan. I go, all right, what's do uh, my next album will be denim and laughter. And that was it. It was, it was just sort of born that way. And um, then, you know, just going out to the clubs and, and working on the new material, you know, it's different for a comedian. A band puts out an album, you know, like the Dead Daisies have the new album out, Holy Ground, and they're playing, you know, probably six or seven songs off of it. You know, that's the thrill as a musician is once you put the album out, you get to go out and play those songs. For a comedian, it's the exact opposite. Once you put an album out, you know, you really don't want to do the album because, you know, the magic's kind of lost if people know the punchline. So, um, you know, it's just that uphill climb again to get the material. And yeah, I mean, I wanted to infuse, obviously, you know, my love for rock and roll and, and the rebelliousness that comes along with it. You know, um, you know, my whole premise about rockers not being politically correct and all that stuff. And, you know, really just poking fun at sort of the hypersensitive world that we live in these days and just let people know hey it's, it's okay to laugh you know we're, we're still allowed to have fun although if you go on social media there's, there's a lot of anti-fun police on there so uh you know i just you know my album gives the middle finger to those people and uh you know just hope people enjoy it you know i try to make a statement without without coming out and saying it you know i don't want to i don't, don't want to be the comic who preaches to people i don't want to be the old guy yelling get off my lawn i just want people to laugh you know you you worked all week you, you know your girl wants you to take her out on a friday night to get some laughs so you know let's just have fun with this let's let's not uh, be a stick in the mud and and you know have to worry about oh my god did he say this did he say that it's, you know it's, it's comedy it's, it's all it's all it's all for people to laugh and have a good time I knew we were in trouble with comedy when I was watching a YouTube video of these two people in front of what looked like a news desk. It was a fake news desk. And they were dissecting one of the latest Dave Chappelle Netflix specials and how and why it was not funny and why you should be offended. And I'm watching this and I'm going, wait a minute, you're telling me why I have to be offended? I, I, I go, we're actually at this point where these people are dedicating an hour on a YouTube channel to tell people why you shouldn't laugh at this stuff. Where the hell is this going? Like, what is happening to our world where I can't just go out and watch a comedian on a Friday night and then, you know, not feel guilty or, or somehow feel guilty if he said something that maybe some people found offensive and I laughed at it? Yeah, well, you know what? You, listen. Any performer's got to adjust uh, with the times a little bit. Otherwise, you, you know, then, you, then you're irrelevant. But, but I, you know, I listen, I'm lucky. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I kind of have my audience. It's not to say I don't want new fans because you always do. Of course, you want to bring new people in all the time. But, you know, even the last, even my last record, you know, I did all that material, uh, you know, in front of NYU students down in the West Village of New York on a Friday night. And, and it worked in front of them. So, you know, if you can make a room full of 25-year-olds or 22-year-olds laugh, um, then everybody else will follow because those are the most sensitive ones that are out there. So, 
you know, I just want my stuff to be battle tested, but I'm also not going to compromise. You know, my comedy's my comedy. Sometimes it's sometimes it's over the top. Some a lot of times it's absurd. Um, once in a while, there's a, you know, you'll groan. <laughs> sometimes it's you know, and I'll be silly. You know, it's it's sort of like you get a little bit of everything. You know, it's like I'm you know the Walmart of comedy. If you don't like something on this aisle, there's something on the next aisle for you. Do you ever find yourself? laughing at a joke that you've wrote that you've written but being nervous to perform it i think i get i get more of a kick out of you know doing a joke that works all the time and then like one time out of a hundred it, it bombs and it just goes, <laughs> yeah that's comedy right there man there, there's always a crowd waiting to take you down a notch but i never take it personally but it's just funny it's like you know, it's just, you never kind of, you know, just when you think, you you know, the audience, they, they let you know that you don't. And it keeps you hungry, which is good. I, you know, I, I listen, I work at clubs in New York City, guys like Chris Rock and Kevin James and even Seinfeld come in unannounced and they, and they try out new material. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen Seinfeld not do so well with some new material or whatever. And, you know, that's funny to me, you know, to, because we know he's a legend. We know Seinfeld's a genius. Um, so, but that's the thing with comedy, you know, it's, um, I might like a joke. I might think it's the funniest joke. I might be, I can't wait to deliver this. And then just nothing. And you're like, all right, there you go. That's a very different dynamic with music. We kind of touched on it a little bit. Like when you're in a band or you're an artist and you're making new music, right? You go into the studio, you write, you cut demos, you you put it on the album, and then it's presented to the fans. Whereas a comedian writes a joke, and then he thinks it's good, you think it's good, but does the audience. And you have to go out, like, you know, sometimes 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, or, you know, after midnight, the wee hours of a comedy club where people are kind of cleaning up and just work on these jokes and work on these bits. And, you know, it's there's still so much unknown about the material. That's a very frantic place to be, I have to imagine. <laughs> well, now that you just said it, now that you said that, I'm terrified for the show <laughs> in New York. Well, yeah, there's, there's, there's no, you know, the practice is being on stage in front of an audience. You can't, you know, you can't talk into a hairbrush and look in the mirror. It does, you're not, it's, you're not going to get any feedback. So that, you know, that's, that's the way comics practice is. You get on stage and you do it. And, um, I, you know, I don't have an ego about my stuff. Like you said, you asked me about, you know, preparing for the album and doing that. It's whatever, whatever 45 minutes was funny, that's what goes on the album. And whatever isn't, even though, even if I think it's better or funnier, it doesn't matter what I think. It's what the crowd thinks. You know, I'm, I'm paid to make people laugh. I'm not paid to make a political statement or, you know, like I said, force my views on somebody that I'm putting whatever on the album that gets, that's gotten laughed you know, in the clubs and that's it. So, um, I got to put the ego aside and just go, you know, whatever people like, that's what they like. And, you know, I'll, maybe I'll try to rework this other stuff for another album. What's also different too, as well. And you did touch on it is when you do put out an album like denim and laughter, right? You can't really perform that again because the joke's already been told. And so you almost have to have material for an album and then you've got to have material for the tour that follows that album. Is that correct to say that? Or is that just something that organically happens, you know, through your filtering jokes to bring in the album or or put on the album and not put on the album? Yeah. I mean, it takes a while to get a whole new set together. So, um, you know, you don't erase all of it right away, but you know, yeah, slowly but surely, you go, okay, I don't, you know, I got this now, I don't need this. And then you just start substituting in, but it takes time. Like even on this, you know, even on the dead daisies tour, I'm doing, you know, different, I'm doing new stuff, combination, new and old, but I'm also every night putting like new, new stuff in and seeing if it fits, if it works, if it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, it's a combination of everything, but again, it's just, you know, I want people to laugh. I want people you know, my job is to set them up for dead daisies, you know, get people smiling um, and let them come out and just and knock them dead. One of the things that I always loved about that metal show is when you would spotlight new bands and you guys would each talk about a band that was new that maybe, you know, wasn't as popular as the legacy artist. 
after a couple years of not doing the metal show, a few years of not doing that metal show, and looking at the state of rock right now, how do you feel things are progressing with new bands and emerging artists? I think it's real healthy right now, man. You know, people are, are clamoring to get back out. I know there's a certain section of the population that's still scared to go out, and I get that. But as far as, you know, emerging young bands, man, I mean, you're, you're seeing what a band like Dirty Honey is doing out there on the road with the Black Crows. And, and they don't even, those guys don't even have a record contract. And they've had number one songs on the rock charts. Um, so that, and that's just, a, you know, a testament that, you know, people, young people still want to rock and still want to go out and see rock. You know, what, you know I know Greta Van Fleet is divisive to some people. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Too much like Led Zeppelin. But whatever the case may be, those guys opened up this lane for the young rockers to, to, to come through. You know, they, they were sort of the first one to really start selling tickets and bringing girls back to the shows. Thank you. Uh, just for that alone, I appreciate Greta Van Fleet. Um, and this lane now is flooded with great young bands. You know, you got Crowbot. You got the East Side Gamblers. You got... Um, you know, you got the Taylor Momsons and the Lizzie Hales and all these great young rock bands at the Black Moods who are on the road with us on this tour who are fantastic. And you don't have to be beholden to a record company. You know, it's a different business model now. If you can get out and you can kick ass live, you can you can get an audience. When you think of of the new bands and you think of the rock stars of years past, right? Why do you think the newer bands are so reluctant to be that outrageous David Lee Roth type of personality or that Steven Tyler or that Lemmy personality where they just don't give a fuck, right? Why don't you think that they, they pursue that like bands in the past have? Uh, you know, I, man, I've never, <laughs> I've never really, I've never really thought about it like that, but yeah, I guess, I guess you're right in a certain way. I mean, like off the top of my head, there's a band called The Struts, and their front man is very campy. He's very much sort of Naughty Holder meets Freddie Mercury. Um, so he has some of that that real swagger. But you know, what? I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's true, but if it is, I think because man, being in a band now is it's all business. You know, you're not. You know, bands don't party like they used to. They're not as outrageous as they used to be because you didn't have a record company to sort of clean up your mistakes and to sort of, you know, kind of foot the bill for you um, when you were getting started and sort of invest in you. It's like, it's all DIY now. So yeah. So for a lot of these bands, it's all business. You got to be on that social media every day, making videos and putting content out there and, and doing this and doing that. And let's face it, the live shows every night have to be perfect because people have phones and they record it and they put it on YouTube and then people, go, oh, let me check out this band Crowbot. Let me see if they're good or not. Because um, all it takes is two seconds to log on to YouTube and go, oh, yeah, oh, wow, they're really good. So, you know, they have to be spot on every night, which is why you see a lot of older bands using tracks and backing tapes and, and stuff like that because they know, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a competitive world out there. So, I just saw the Struts last week uh, with Nick Perry and the Underground Thieves, and Second time I saw that band, and two things I noticed. One, the the audience was about 50% female, and two, mm. he holds the, the audience in the palm of his hand. I mean, that is a legitimate frontman. And, you know, when we think of frontman from, you know, years past, whether it's David Lee Roth or Axl Rose, they had that personality. And it almost seems like other genres embrace the rock and roll lifestyle but people in rock and roll now, it's like everyone plays it safe. And, and I, and I understand we live in a very polarizing time where, you know, you could be canceled immediately, right. Or attempt to be canceled. And I know there's a lot of fear in that, but also it's, it's, it is still rock music. It is still rock and roll. And I always say, you know, don't be afraid to say something. Don't be afraid to be what you want to be. Even if people don't like you, if they stop and to to listen to what you say, you've got them. You've you they they've bought into you, and I think that's a, a huge element 
that's missing because what do we talk about when we were first getting into rock music? Our parents didn't like it, so we wanted it more, right? We wanted to, we <laughs> wanted to pursue it more. And I think a lot of these young bands are emerging. There's so much great music out there. I totally agree. And I think the youth of America is starting to connect with things. But I still think that missing element is that rock star personality that when I'm a parent, I don't know if I would ever do this, but I know there's a lot of other parents that would be, oh, turn this jerk off, turn that, turn that off. And that makes the kid go, ooh, I want, it, I want more of this. Who else can I listen to? And I think that's a huge thing that's missing, especially when connecting with young people. Mystique is the word. We, we, we have very few rock stars with any mystique because of social media. You know, everyone posts, oh, I had eggs for breakfast. Now I'm going over here to look at a tree. And then tomorrow I'm going to ride my bike. And, you know, there's not, you know, like Axl Rose is sort of one of the last few guys that has this mystique to him. He's, you know, he's not really on social media. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. And it makes you curious, like what makes this guy tick? Um, so yeah, that's that's something that's that's a trade off. You know, you feel closer to your favorite musicians because you can literally interact with them on social media. But that takes away from the other stuff, like Kiss. Imagine just trying to do Kiss now. It's like everyone has a camera phone, but back in the day, if you were even lucky enough to have a camera at the same exact time Gene Simmons was coming out of a club and, and if you could even figure out it was him, you might be able to, you know, get a photo. Um, now it's like, you know, you can't do this. The guy from ghost tried to do that, but then people would be backstage and they'd meet them and then they'd want a photo. And next thing you know, you know, Papa Emeritus is not as, it doesn't have the mystique that it used to. Everybody knows, Oh, that's Tobias. Um, and everyone has a photo with him. So, yeah, that's the one thing that's kind of missing. I even think of Led Zeppelin. Why is Led Zeppelin still relevant 40 years after they released their last album? And it's because they don't, got, you know, they, they, they don't like just amass you with the, all their material. They don't like, they're not always in the news. They, they're very smart in how they market themselves. You won't hear about them for a year or so, and then they'll drop a documentary like they're going to do, or they'll drop remasters, and those remasters will be number one. Because through all this time, Led Zeppelin's been able to maintain that mystique because they don't look to share everything that's going on with them. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. And being an old school guy, um, you know, I do. I, I miss that stuff, you know. So, you know, when uh, you know, two of my favorite members of Kiss, um, you know, I, man, how cool must it have been in the seventies to, to to be the most famous band in the world on one hand, but be able to walk around anonymously on the other and have people just wonder, like, oh, and. What is it? You know, is Ace really an alien? Does he, talk, you know, is you know, what what do these guys do? And they're, you know, the more you, the more you create in your mind is is almost better than what's really happening. I always tell people, trust me, you're gonna you'll be so disappointed if you come backstage. You, you think there's you know there's groupies and and beer and drugs and and it's a party and, all, and you come backstage and it's five guys sitting in a quiet room talking about you know their favorite Kiss album. What are some new bands that you're listening to? Um, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned, you know, some of them just before, but, you know, Crowbot I really like. Um, there's a young band called The Cruel Knives uh, that I really dig. Um, uh, who else? The East Side Gamblers, who are phenomenal. Um, so, you know, those are three. I actually like a lot of really... I, I've gotten into death metal over the last 10 years. So I've been really listening to a lot of that. And there's a lot of great young uh, death metal bands that are out like gate creeper and Tomb mold and stuff, which might be a little heavy for your audience, but, uh, but yeah, you, you can, they're out there, man. They're, 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 it, it, I feel really good about the, the future of the scene. Well, Don, it's been a blast chatting with you, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Jay, thank you so much, and thanks for the kind words about our show and Joliet. Man, we've been carrying that energy with us, um, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of it with me to New York City tonight um, because uh, you know 
you know, you, you play New York or LA, you, you could, you could either get the jaded industry crowd or you can get the, the real hardcore fans. So, uh, I'm going to take a little of that Joliet energy with me tonight, just just to make sure that uh, I'm on my game. And uh, thanks again for everything. Really appreciate it. No worries, man. What's up next for you? I know you got this tour, but what's going on after that? Yeah, after that, I'll, you know, get back into the the swing of things with the comedy clubs and, um, you know, the uphill climb to work out the the new material for the the next record. So, uh, just keep doing what I'm doing. Hope we don't lock down again and uh, keep on rocking and, and, and laughing. Everybody, you can order the new Don Jameson album, Denim and Laughter. You can find it on Bandcamp. You can find it on his website. Look for uh, what, what is your website again? Just donjameson.com. And, you know, it's on, it's on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, you don't have to be a rock and roller to enjoy it. Um, you know, there's something I, like I say, there's something on there for everyone. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's always rock and roll attitude for sure. All right, everybody. That's Don Jameson. I'm Jay Scott. This is the hook rocks. Take it easy. Be strong. Stay healthy. We will talk again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.